are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Reminded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sarah. Good morning, church. Great to see all of you this morning. We're going to continue our series in in the book of 1 Peter. It's been a couple uh, of weeks break, but we're going to jump back in to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, 13 through 16. I titled the sermon this morning, Therefore, Hope Fully and Be Holy. Therefore, Hope Fully fully and be holy. I realized as I read it this morning to myself, it sounded an awful lot like, therefore, hopefully be holy, which is not like, um, I don't think that's what Peter's saying in these verses. So hear what I'm saying. Therefore, hope fully and be holy. So one of the primary things Peter is doing in this text, um, he's, he's calling these believers to obedience as obedient children. He says it, and it's got me thinking a lot about times when, when I was a child where, uh, where I got in trouble or I needed to be disciplined. I'm sure some of you still have those memories in your mind. Some of you are children, so they're fresh memories for you. I remember when my dad would give me a talking to, I was always like, uh, he'd come to my room or whatever it may be, and I was, I was trying to discern, like, where's this going? Like, is this a, is this a stern talking, or is this going to be a little bit more severe after the talking? And I'd try to, like, see his, his move was he'd have the paddle, like, in his back pocket. And so I'd kind of be, like, listening, but I'm going, is, is it back there? I don't know. I want to know how this thing's ending. I'm trying to prepare my expectations. But truthfully, disciplining um, our children is tough, isn't it? We'll say that again. I need need some amens from some parents. (laughs) Disciplining our children is tough. It's tough to be um, fair, consistent, for it to not be done out of anger or emotion. In our Families Count class, we spend a, a whole week or a whole night talking about discipline, how to do that effectively, and what we're hoping is that we will create a soft heart in our child, that the Lord will use these efforts, that eventually this child will want to obey, that um, you know, how honoring to the parents to have a child who wants to obey, who seeks to please them. May it be, Lord, may it be. But Peter begins in verse 13. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Therefore, it's an important word. We see this word often in the New Testament. Let's not brush past it. It's an important word because it links what Peter has just said with what he is about to say. So in the verses that we're looking at together today, Peter is calling these believers to live a certain way based on what God has done for them in Christ. And so the instructions that he's giving them today are rooted in God's grace towards them. Another way of saying this is imperatives flow from indicatives. You may have heard something similar to that. That indicative statements are declarations about what God has done or what He will do. They're declarations of fact. That imperative statements are instructions for us to do and commands for us. So what God has done for us, indicative, 
comes before instructions on how we are to live our lives. Imperative. Both important. One pastor says it like this, gospel obligations must be based on gospel declarations. This pattern is displayed through the New Testament. I'll give you a couple quick examples. Romans 6. Paul writes, you are not under law, but under grace. He continues, you've been brought from death to life. Indicative declaration of truth. Therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body. Galatians 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Indicative, therefore, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we wouldn't want to get these reversed that our instructions for godly living flow from and are made possible by His work on our behalf. So these instructions in verse 13 through 16, these imperative statements, they flow from what He's already written in verse 1 through 12. Do you remember what He wrote in verse 1 through 12? It's been a couple weeks. I'll, I'll bail you out and remind you some of the things He told them. He's told them already, assuring these exiles that are dispersed, He says, God has chosen you. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctification of the Spirit, through the obedience of the Son, the sprinkling of His blood, He's caused you to be born again to a living hope. Declaration. Fact. And He's got this inheritance for you. He's keeping it. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. And you, exile, you're being guarded by God's power so you can endure these various trials that are refining your faith. He's keeping you. These are facts about you, declarations about you. Therefore, in light of all of that, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So two points this morning. First is this. Set your hope fully on the future grace that is ours in Christ. Say it again. Set your hope fully on the future grace that is ours in Christ. See, the structure of New Testament uh, Greek, it's, it's different from the order in which we speak and write. That often in New Testament Greek, they'd use these multiple participle phrases, and those would attach to a main verb in the sentence. And so these participle phrases support or clarify or describe the main verb. I can tell by the look on your faces that it's been a minute since you thought about parts of speech. Um, I, I know where you are. That's where I was earlier this week. I want you to relax. Um, there's no test. You're safe. Let me just kind of jog your memory. Luckily for me, there's a, uh, an English teacher in my GC. So in preparation for this sermon, I texted Drew Jenkins so that he reminded me via text how participles work. So you can think of a, of a participle as a verbal adjective. All right, it's a verb form for us. It often ends with ing. And in New Testament Greek, these participles are really important and they're linked to the, to the main verb of the sentence. So I'll, I'll give you an example of a sentence with a participle phrase at the beginning. Here's an example. Demonstrating my ability to text Drew about parts of speech, I spoke about participles in my sermon. So demonstrating my ability to text Drew participle phrase at the beginning. 
And so in New Testament Greek, there's often multiples of these phrases just stacked together, and it can be a bit confusing. So Greek scholars help us know what the main verb of the sentence is so we can distinguish it from the subordinate participles because this affects how we understand the sentence. Where am I going with this? I'll give you an example. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission. I'm sure you've heard these couple verses. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He's telling us a lot right there. There's one main verb. There's three participles. Does anybody know? I want to guess what the main verb is. I mean, you know. Main verb is make disciples. Main verb is make disciples. I know, I know. Some of you are like, I don't know. I don't know. It's in the commentary, all right? Don't... I, don't check me on that. Um, make disciples. So going, baptizing, teaching, these are important. These are participles. They're ways by which we accomplish the main verb. Make disciples. So where am I going with this grammar lesson? I think it helps us understand verse 13. It helps us understand the, the emphasis of this verse because that's how this verse is structured. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, participle, being sober-minded, participle, set your hope fully. Main verb, main emphasis, set your hope fully. So after all these indicative statements, Peter's first imperative to them, his first command to them is a command to hope, to set their hope. You see the active role in that? To set your hope, to think on these things, not partially, not half-heartedly, not halfway, but fully. Fix your hope fully. Our hope, like our faith, is grounded on fact. It's not just wishful thinking. It's sure. It's steady. It's, it's secure. It's firm. So set your hope fully on what? On the future grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we set our hope on that grace? How do we accomplish the action of this main verb? Well, he gives us a couple of examples, a couple of ways, two ways, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. We'll take them one at a time. Preparing your minds for action. This is funny. If this phrase were translated literally, it would not read, therefore, preparing your minds for action, which is really clear. Um, it would read, therefore, having girded up the loins of your mind. And that translators help us out because that doesn't really uh, resonate with us very much. It's the image of, of a person uh, with long flowing garments, right, that, um, that, that might impede their movement. So they tuck these garments into their belt that's girding up your loins so that they can run or work or fight or move quickly without tripping over their clothes. It's similar to, to rolling up your sleeves before you get to work. The, the mental picture I had was, was a picture uh, shortly after uh, my wedding when Michelle's uh, mother was pinning up the back of her wedding dress so that she could move around the reception without people stepping on her dress. Preparing for action, for movement, girding up your loins. And there's a connection between our minds being prepared to hope in God's Word. There's a connection there that our hope is grounded and built upon God's Word. That hope flourishes when our minds are girded up with truth, steeped in God's Word. 
The truth of Scripture, when it, when it finds a heart that's submitted to the Word of God, it's fertile soil for hope to grow and put down roots. So gird up the loins of your mind means immerse your mind with truth. Get in God's Word. This helps bolster your hope in Christ. It helps strengthen your faith. Helps you through seasons of doubt and unbelief. Helps you hope through trials and heartache. Hope in the future grace that you have in Him. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare your mind. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. What does sober-minded mean? It's one of the qualifications for pastors and 1 Timothy 3, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded. This goes on. What does it mean? Sound judgment, clear thinking, proper perspective, thoughts that are not under the influence of ungodly things. Sober-mindedness means an ability to not get distracted from the mission, not drifting, not wavering. Helps us evaluate situations wisely, correctly, to cut through the noise, to have clear thinking, sober-mindedness. And all through the pastoral epistles, Paul's telling Timothy and Titus things like these young pastors. He's telling them, avoid silly myths, irreverent babble, quarreling, foolishness, ignorant controversies. Avoid those things. Be sober-minded. Prepare your mind. Renew your mind through God's Word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully. The first command is a command to hope. Hoping in this grace that's going to be brought to you. Girding up the loins of our mind through God's Word and being sober-minded are ways in which we fix our hope on Christ. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you. Think on Him. Meditate on Him. Marvel at Him. When He comes, He brings grace to His people. Grace is on the way. Bank on it. Rely on it. Hope in it. He'll wipe away every tear and make all things new. So set your hope fully on that reality, on the future grace that is ours in Christ. And we do that through preparing our minds and, and being sober-minded. Point number two, be holy as He who called you is holy. Let's read verses 14 through 16 again. Be holy as He who called you is holy. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So Peter calls these exiles to obedience, to be obedient children, to obey God, their Father. And he contrasts this with their former desires, with their new calling now to be holy. And he says, don't be conformed to those former passions of ignorance. What are those passions? He mentions them in, verse, I mean, in chapter 4, a little bit more detailed sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Probably not an exhaustive list, but you get the idea. Hedonism, indulgence, selfishness, depravity. Even after we're in Christ, 
ungodly desires pull at us. They, they seek to entangle us. They tempt us to stray, to entice us. And Peter's saying that we should resist these desires and choose good because these ignorant former desires, these passions, they can't satisfy us. That's the lie. Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, who satisfies you with good. He can satisfy our souls. He's not holding out on us. There's not some better option out there for you. So be like obedient children. Trust Him. Obey the Father. And be holy. Why? Because He who called us is holy. We are with Him. He's the Holy One. We're His people. So be holy. What is holiness? It can kind of be hard to, to get a hold of. We think of it often as synonymous with, with righteousness, but it's really, really not. Um, we can tell from this text that holiness involves not being conformed to these ignorant former passions. That's part of it. Our model for holiness is not our own benchmarks, not our own ideas, but it's God Himself, His very nature. He's the definition so think about your life. Think about your thoughts, your words, your actions. Think about just this past week. Think about just today. Do they reflect the nature of God? Do they align with your identity as a distinct, set-apart, holy child of God? Are we living like holy people? Are there ways in which we need to repent? I think that often we think of holiness only in terms of kind of righteous moral behavior. That's usually how we think of it. We reduce it to that. And it's right to think about holiness including morality, not being conformed to these former passions. Holy in our conduct. Holiness definitely includes moral living, but I want you to see that it's more than that as well. It's not just doing a good job keeping the rules. You see, it's possible to be a moral person. Think about it for many different reasons. You can be moral out of a sense of duty. You can be moral to feel better about yourself. You can be moral to meet the expectations of your family or friends or church. Or you can be moral to be well thought of because it's good for your business. All examples of being a moral behaving person for essentially self-serving reasons. And the reality is it's very possible for someone to be moral in their actions and yet not belong to God. And we know and love many people that this is true of. Friends, neighbors, family members, moral individuals, individuals but not Christ followers. How is this? You see, it's possible to act morally and yet not be holy. The command to be holy as God's people involves moral living, but it's more. Let's try to think about holiness more in terms of being set apart. 
When Peter writes in verse 16, see, he quotes the Old Testament here. He writes, since it is written, and then you'll see there's quotes, you shall be holy for I am holy. Peter is referencing the book of Leviticus here when God is speaking to his people. And God's intention for his people is for them to be distinct, holy, set apart, examples of his goodness, a light to the nations to be Holy, and this command implies a very distinct way of life for them. So there are lots of regulations that, that describe that distinct way of life, set apart, separate. And we can see this clearly in God. Clearly, He's holy. He's utterly distinct, utterly unique. There's nothing else like Him, no one like Him. And what Peter is saying when he references Leviticus is that these exiles should be holy in more than just their behavior. What makes something or someone holy? It's holy because it belongs to God. It's been set apart. What makes you and I holy? It's that we belong to God. We've been set apart. God's people are holy because they are His people, His possession. He set them apart. And that changes us. And why did He set them apart? What was His purpose in making them holy and getting this people for his own possession why was he doing that where was he going with all of that it's to be a blessing to be a light to the nations to be a a kingdom of priests to be ministers to show the world what God is like that's why they've been set apart and so it is with us we're set apart made holy as God's people. Yes, that involves moral behavior, but we're set apart for a purpose to demonstrate what God is like to our world. To be missionaries, ministers, priests, to be a city on a hill redeemed for a purpose. That's why He set us apart. So to belong to Him now means that I hopefully want to obey Him. I delight in Him. But as Peter writes to these exiles, that though you have not seen Him, you love Him. That it's not just enough to know, hey, tell me what the checklist is because I want to know the bare minimum that I have to do. It's about our hearts that absolutely there are commands for us to obey. But holiness means that you belong to God and that means you no longer live for yourself. That's holy living. You live for God and your neighbor. That's holy living. 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You've been bought with the price. You and I belong to God, therefore we're not our own. And that has a lot of implications, doesn't it? So we think about holiness in this manner, we realize it applies to all of our life. It can potentially be overwhelming. Be holy in all of your conduct, every part of your life, everything we think, say, and do, belonging to God, representing God, being set apart, demonstrating His nature. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you work. The way you play, the way you speak, the way you handle money, the way you treat people, the way you use your home, changes your values, your habits, your convictions. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. 
Because we're not living for ourselves. We are redeemed for a purpose. We belong to God. We are His people. That's us. We are holy people. So what Peter's saying is live like it. Live like it. In light of this reality, live like it. Therefore, hope fully in grace and be holy. Let's pray. Father, help us in all of these things. Father, we praise You for redeeming us, for setting us apart, for sanctifying us. Father, we confess that often, often, Lord, we fall short. Lord, help us to be faithful, to be obedient. Lord, help the way in which we live to to demonstrate You to be a blessing to our community, to our world. Lord, help us seek to live in such a way that honors You, that pleases You. Lord, cultivate a a desire inside of us that, that wants to obey, that sees You as good, Father, help us in these things. Lord, we're so frail, we're so weak, we're prone to wonder. Empower us, help us, be with us. Father, we desperately want to be a faithful people who are living a holy life, Lord, so that people will know you and know what you're like. Help us in these things. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. sermon from Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to emmanuelwithanibirmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham.